As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the World in Sport from RNZ Pacific. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week we profile the rise of rugby on Guam and the World 7 Series resumes in London as Fiji look to regain the men's title. But first, Tonga Rugby League coach Christian Wolfe has hit out at the sport's governing body for not doing more to support the international game. Mate Ma'a Tonga captured the imagination of the Rugby League world last year, beating New Zealand in a memorable run to the World Cup semi-finals. Christian Wolfe expects to be able to field much the same lineup in next month's Pacific Test, but says it's frustrating more is not being done by the NRL and Rugby League International Federation to help maintain the momentum from the World Cup. Oh no! Look, I've spoken to all the players, and, and I know um, I know where they all sit, and you know, it's not up to me to to come out publicly and, and say what players are going to do. I think they need to do that themselves, but. Uh, uh, yeah, what I will say is I'd be very surprised if we're not able to roll out the same team from the World Cup and um, you know, to a man or, or very, very close to it. And um, I think there's some really positive signs for us going forward. And we obviously ride a fair bit of momentum off the World Cup and, and we need to make sure that we're uh, we're willing to continue that. But the other thing is I'm still a little bit frustrated at times that there's uh, not more um, being done by the, the NRL and the International Rugby League to um, help us maintain that momentum. And you know, I think we're at the forefront of um, where, the interna- where the international game can grow and become a little bit more competitive outside of your top three. And obviously Samoa, Fiji, PNG are also a part of that. And um, you know, if, we, uh, if we can come up with a, a calendar that allows for games like us playing New Zealand in New Zealand and, and being able to make that a a regular occurrence, then I think we do really grow the international game and, and in particular, uh, grow the competitiveness of it. What can the international body, what can the NRL do in that regard in terms of those, uh, I guess, A-level fixtures? Because, you know, New Zealand have obviously, um, you know, gone about their own bat and, and got this game in Denver happening and um, I think Australia's, you know, got their traditional PMs match up in PNG and they've got all their other um, tests that they're doing. Um, save you forcing them to play the test. I, I know there's been some interest, but... Uh, do you ultimately just need those teams to say, yes, we're willing to play Tonga, or can the international body say this is happening and, and, and you should do what it's good for the game? Yeah, I think um, a little bit more of a voice and a little bit more support from those organisations is what's needed. So um, you know, on the back of, uh, obviously, we made it really clear that we wanted to play New Zealand and, and make that a regular uh, annual occurrence um, after the World Cup. And 
that wasn't able to happen. Um, and so we, we then contacted Australia, and through Mel Meninga, Mel's, Mel's got a very good mind in terms of growing the international game, and he's very, very supportive of it. And um, He jumped straight on, on board and, and wanted to make it happen. So you know, there's interest from both camps for that to happen, and, and we just we just need to, you know, we, we've been told that it's 90% going to happen. Um, we just really need the, the NRL and the International Rugby League to come out and say, yes, this is something we want to happen and this is how we're going to support it and make it happen. What, what boxes um, need to be ticked to get it to 100%? That's where it lies at the moment, is uh, everyone agreeing that um, that it's something that has to happen and, and how we make things like uh, TV rights um, fit in with, with that game. And, uh, and as I said, everyone being in agreement that it has to happen and, 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 and making it happen. So I'm not giving you a real direct answer there because I'm not actually organising it, but I keep getting told that it's 90%. You know, all the boxes have cleared in terms of uh, government support, in terms of uh, stadium support, um, in terms of both teams wanting to play and the terms for both teams. Uh, it just hasn't been finally approved and finally pushed yet. So, um, yeah, as I said, I, I think that's what the, the governing bodies can do, but... I also think there just needs to be a push for, you know, if you look at, we always go back to the Tonga New Zealand uh, game in New Zealand. I, I really think that outside of origin, uh, that's your biggest rivalry and, and that's your biggest um, uh, event that can be put on at the moment. And uh, I, I think, you know, if we all want to make that happen, I think it definitely happens. But at the moment, that seems difficult to do. By virtue of there being so much more to lose from New Zealand's point of view, having lost at the World Cup and, you know, I guess even though they lost, you know, there's an expectation that they would win those games. So uh, is there a reluctance from New Zealand Rugby League? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I did, certainly didn't get the impression this year that it was something that was high on the agenda. Um, and I, I found that really difficult to understand. Yeah, I, I just look at the games you know, that when we played New Zealand in Hamilton and when we also played England in Auckland. I look at the the interest that that generated, obviously through the Tongan community, but also through just the, the general New Zealand rugby league community. I, you know, I've made the comment before that I think every every kid around at that time was looking at Jason Tomalolo and thinking, I want to be Jason Tomalolo. And there's not a better advertisement for rugby league than that. And, uh, you, know, you talk about growing the game and putting on events, and, and New Zealand's always wanted a, an alternative to state of origin. Well, I think the answer is right there. And, um, you know, again, I, I just think we—if everyone wants to make it happen, it happens. But at the moment, that's, that seems a little bit difficult to get everyone wanting that. Has there been any closing of the gap in terms of the financial disparity? Obviously, we know how much New Zealand, Australian players, etc., were earning at the World Cup. I think, you know, roughly ten thousand dollars a test, and. Certainly not the same as what a lot of the Pacific nations were um, off the back of that success. Maybe sponsorship, maybe efforts from the international board. Is, is there any closing of that gap or is it basically the same? Uh, no, look, it's basically the same. Now, we're in a better position in terms of being able to attract sponsorship. Um, obviously, with the profile of our team, the profile of our players and, and what we're able to do with the World Cup, that that's really helped us out individually. But in terms of support from the governing body, that hasn't changed yet. Um, well, I know there's still discussions around how that might be able to improve and improve slightly, but even if it is a slight improvement, you know, in my eyes, any improvement is a positive. So, um, but at the moment, that hasn't changed. Um, the other thing that makes that really difficult, and what we've found in terms of securing sponsorship, is that at the moment, you know, there's just not an international calendar for the Pacific Island teams, and 
yeah, it's great that we can obviously go and say that we've we've got a game uh, in Campbelltown for a Pacific Test against Samoa, but yeah, that's a one-off game um, at a at a venue that um, you know isn't as attractive as other venues, and uh, it's not an easy sell. And if we did have a genuine international calendar, uh, yeah, if we knew that we were going to play a if we knew that the Australia Test was going to go ahead at the end of the year, and we knew that we were going to play in New Zealand next year, then would actually have something that we could sell uh, a little bit long-term to, to sponsors and, and that would make us a hell of a lot more attractive. That's Tonga Rugby League coach Christian Wolf. Rugby Union is on the rise on Guam with a former Hurricanes prop leading their efforts to grow the game. The US Territory is home to about 160,000 people and recently the national men's team thrashed Brunei and China to lift the Asian Division Three East title. Head coach Tony Penn says rugby is particularly popular with young people. They're so keen and, and whatnot, but they've only got a population of 160,000. But it's funny enough, it's the it's one of the most popular sports in the in high in the high school system. Um, as you know, it's an American territory, so they're pretty much dominated by American sports: basketball, baseball, and American football, and and also soccer is pretty big up there. But yeah, rugby is really really uh, popular amongst the school system over there, and the problem they've got. When they leave school, you know, they all bugger off to colleges in the mainland in America or they just uh, join up the military. So they lose that, tra- that transition phase from school rugby to, to senior rugby is, is pretty much non-existent. So they don't have a club rugby scene per se. They have a tournament uh, once a year, a teams tournament, and they probably have a, an alumni series which is playing for their, you know, their, their schools, their old schools, and they play about three games a year. So... They really box well above their weight for a country that doesn't actually have a senior rugby competition. And and how have you found yourself uh, coaching the team? Obviously, you had a long career here in New Zealand, domestically, Super Rugby, etc. Uh, how did you find yourself with Guam? I put up with an old an old um, an old rugby coach of mine, he was a Maori selector, Willie Hitaraka, and he was in Taranaki on some on some business, and I. I just caught up with him for a uh, for a coffee, and he said, "Hey, do you want to come up and uh, give me a hand to uh, coach the Guam national side?" And I'd never even heard of Guam, and never heard of, you know, and didn't even know where it was. And I thought, "Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go up." And um, anyway, one thing led to another, and he sort of chucked it in, and, and they asked me to stay on, and that was well, I've been coming up now for about six years. So um, yeah, that's how we ended up ended up in, in Guam. But I do quite a bit of work um, throughout Asia. Uh, and in Africa, doing some resource coaching, and it just sort of really fits the bill. And um, yeah, I just love giving back to the game, and especially to a bunch of guys that are so keen and, and actually passionate about the game and, and wanting to learn. It's it's really uh, it's really satisfying actually, and it's yeah, it's just real grassroots rugby at its best. You couldn't, couldn't describe it any other way. Are you based up there, or do you sort of move around a bit? No, so I'm actually based in the UK now, and I'm looking after a team up there. Um, you know, purely on, a, on, a, on a, an amateur club, so purely on an amateur basis, and I just move around. Um, you're from the UK, and you know, come. I, I usually come to Guam about a week or two weeks before we we go away, and we you know, get the guys off the beaches and <laughs> try and uh, rustle the team together, and um, yeah, we work pretty hard for a, for a week or two, and then we go away to the tournament, and then back I go. Um, but we're looking at uh, we're just trying a, new, a few new um, strategies, a bit. That's trying to develop the game a lot more. We're going to look at going down a little bit more often and running some 
um, coaching clinics for the coaches and just upskilling the people as much as I can. And like I say, it's, it's an American sports-dominated territory, so as much as they're really keen, they're limited to, to volunteers and, and to whatnot. There's a few expats up here that have got the, the game going on the island. They you know, actually set, set rugby up 15, 20 years ago, and they do a lot of work, but I mean, they can do so much. So, yeah, just trying to get, um, trying to develop the game even more and trying to get the high school kids to um, keep continuing playing at a senior level. So that's a, that's work in progress. So um, we're looking at doing that moving forward. Should be good. And you said 11 new caps uh, in this tournament uh, this month. Um, are they all picked from on island? Yep, so everyone's um, everyone's picked from on island. Um, we've had, for the first time this year, we've got a couple of boys from down New Zealand, actually. Um, now they were born and raised in, in on Guam. But their parents you know, ex-pack Kiwis and moved up uh, for business reasons. And they were born and raised until they were about uh, high school high school age, and they moved to boarding school in New Zealand. Um, and so they showed an interest this year to you know, represent... Guam, which is a country of birth, and um, so yeah, we, we welcomed them with open arms, and um, yeah, we've got a couple of brothers that are playing for us from, from New Zealand, but the rest are all homegrown um, island boys, so yeah, it is fantastic, actually. I think we'd probably be the only the only country with um, excluding the two Kiwis that, that don't generally have any um, expat influence amongst the side. How many um, games do you typically get a year for the national team? Like a lot of you know, nations within Asia, funding is a real issue. Um, so we do um, pretty much only go away to the tournament each year. Uh, so we get we get two games usually a year. And this this particular tournament, as I mentioned earlier, we we are playing the the PI, so playing the uh, playing the Philippines mm-hmm. on the way back to Guam. So um, yeah, we, we generally only play two or three games a year max. Um, but like I say, it's, we're sort of working a few a few things now. We'll be trying to create a relationship with um, with the Philippines, who are in a couple of divisions above us, and it would be you know they're, they're our closest neighbour, and it's, it's easy to get to and from, so and, and reasonably cost effective. So we're going to look at building that relationship and making a um, sort of home in a way, you know, series each year on top of uh, the tournament that we play, and, and also with a couple of the uh, universities in, in Japan, and we've been up there in the past and had a great time and learnt a lot. They're playing these sides and, and they're great hosts, so we're going to look at developing those relationships. That's Guam rugby coach Tony Penn. Fiji can go a long way to regaining the World Seven Series title with a strong performance in London this weekend. The Olympic champions have won the past three tournaments in Vancouver, Hong Kong and Singapore to go four points clear of South Africa in the competition standings with two legs to play. Coach Gareth Baber says the past four weeks have been a chance to rest and reflect. Certainly off the field coming back from not just Singapore, but I think that month of April, which uh, every team felt, um, and notably us as well, who'd, who'd sort of done the, the three tournaments with uh, a, a similar group, uh, with a consistent group that had gone through Hong Kong, Commonwealth Games, and then into Singapore. So uh, when we returned to, to Fiji, there was a bit of time uh, for the players to reconnect with families, um, for them to uh, you know recover uh, in the space where they you know they knew they could get that mental space as well. And um, and then we've uh, we've brought them back into training. We had sort of a, we call a recovery and regeneration week, uh, where we we focused on perhaps some elements off the field uh, that we needed to tighten up on, and where we feel we could get some more gains. 
Um, and then following that, we were sort of back into the process of looking at the squad, who was who was still carrying injuries, uh, who was coming through uh, in terms of form, uh, pushing the players, and then looking obviously at the squad that would travel to to London and Paris. So uh, very much the focus is as we have done previously, a similar sort of uh, system that we've run in those blocks of sort of three or four weeks. You get back on Ireland, um, you know, previous to going to the next tournament. So. Is it is it easier going back to that back to back environment? Obviously, you had it with Hong Kong Com Games, but then you had that unique scenario of a week off, so to speak, but before heading to Singapore. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not sure about other teams, but certainly from my experiences, um, <clears throat> you get into a rhythm of preparation um, that you get when you sort of return from two legs and then prep for the next two legs and. Um, I'm sure every athlete knows that knows that system, whatever sport they're involved in, and um, you know it's equal in hours that we you know we know what we do when we get back, we know when we come back in, what it's going to feel like, uh, and we know where we've got to get to through our training in that block prior to taking the sort of trip across the world, you know, and then looking at tapering into to what be competition. So, um, you know, as a as a coaching staff and a management, that's that's the sort of rules that we work to, and as you probably identify going to or having that Singapore one as a standalone was, was a strange uh, or a different uh, different preparation period. Um, but I thought we managed it well and I was pleased, obviously, with the outcome. And just finally, in terms of London and Paris, uh, last year your first with the team it was a bit of a weird finish, not just specifically for you, but we had a couple of first-time winners in those final two tournaments of the season. Uh, Fiji, I think, came seventh in London and in ninth in, in, in Paris. So is there, is there, because it's, I know you've had a World Cup coming up, but because it's the last back-to-back of the season, do you find it different at all? Uh, or do you think it's going to be more consistent to form with what we've seen so far this season? It's difficult to predict, I suppose, from from our, only I can predict from our perspective. I mean, certainly we're in a different space now than we were this time last year. Uh, you know, obviously, I've been interviewed many times about where we were at and what we had to go through. Um, but now we're in a different place. Obviously, I think for the likes of ourselves in South Africa, you know, there's still very much a lot to play for uh, in terms of the World Series finish itself. Um, but as you've just alluded to there as well, I think that the, the potential of the World Cup uh, brings a new uh, energy to the end of the season for for many many teams who are looking to to perform or get people in and, and get them performing and get some rhythm in the game going into the World Cup. I think this time last year also South Africa pretty much won the won the series anyway. So um, that's you know where. I think a lot of it sort of end of season uh, when the champions have almost been crowned that you end up in a situation where uh, a lot of teams then either aren't quite at the top of their game in terms of performance or are looking to blood new players. So, you know, I'm very aware of that in terms of how that can bite you as well as a, as a team. And, um, you know, sometimes when you put, you go to, as you said, there were some first-time winners in that, but, but they suddenly grow as a team in a tournament, which can happen quite easily. So, I think you'll see probably a mixed bag. I think you'll probably see um, some teams that are sort of slightly taking foot off gas and, you know, seeing themselves through to the end of the season. They'll have some that are pushing hard for positions going into the World Cup. And then you've probably got, I suppose, top two certainly and maybe top three or four, you know, really going at each other as well to make sure that, you know, they finish strong. That's Fiji Sevens coach Gareth Baber. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinny Wiley. Thank you very much for listening.
I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right (laughs) now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.